The Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. This is former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and now we're back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and WDEV Radio.com. Thank you very much, Keyshawn. Brady Farkas Show back at it here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Celtics beaten in Game 2 of the NBA Finals. Series tied at one game apiece. Final score last night, 107-88. to The Celtics got run away from in the third quarter. Continuing on our conversation around the Celtics now is a guy who was there in person. He's the broadcaster for the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. It's our friend Mark Kestisher. Kesty, thanks for being with us. I know you're fresh off the plane. Are you in Boston right now for Game 3? Uh, Brady, I am not. I am in New England, but I'm actually in uh, Connecticut. I, I rarely get to go home during these finals. <laughs> this is my 19th. I think this is the first time I've diverted myself, go do a little laundry, repack and head up to Boston in the morning. Well, we appreciate your time and know that you've had a busy uh, travel schedule as we get ready for Game 3 coming up on Wednesday. Series tied at 1-1. Celtics pummeled by 19 yesterday. How should Celtics fans be feeling today, in your opinion? Well, I think, you know, you can always look at things uh, at at both sides. A, you should be thrilled. You got the coveted uh, split, as we call it. So you've taken home court advantage. You've got the next two games in your building, and I'm sure TD Garden is going to be rocking on Wednesday and on Friday. But I also think you have to have some concern. You know, as much as uh, folks were gushing over the Celtics and how the series had flipped on a fourth quarter, you have to realize that, you know, the Warriors have outplayed you for most of these first two games. You know, uh, Boston had an historic fourth quarter, hit shots at a crazy pace, you know, to win that fourth quarter and win going away. And even though the first half was tight, uh, the Warriors got, you know, very defense-oriented, had their typical third-quarter kick, and the ball game was over. So, again, you can look at it from both sides. You're in great position with home court, but still a lot of work to do. How do the Celtics get over those third-quarter bugaboos? Outscored by 14 in the third in Game 1 and beaten by 21 in the third quarter yesterday. How do they rectify what they're doing at halftime? Yeah, you know, it's it's a weird thing, and I plan on asking both coaches tomorrow. I know I've talked to Steve Kerr about it in the past, and I'm like, you know, what is it about the third quarter? Is the team's not coming out focused that you're playing against? Is there more focus than you're playing with? I would like to tell you that it's, um, you know, uh, just an outlier, but it's not because that's what the Warriors have done over these eight years is they have come out and they have dominated third quarters, especially at home. So I don't know if, uh, you know, the opposition is uh, letting off a little bit or if it's just execution and once things get rolling, you get a stop, you hit a three, you get a stop, you hit a three. That's what it feels like when Steph Curry gets going. And the next thing you know, you've rolled off, you know, 12 or 13 straight points. So I don't know exactly how you stop it, except um, I'm sure Ime Udoka is going to say they have to defend better. Uh, and certainly they have to execute their offense better. You cannot turn the ball over against the Warriors. 
much like you cannot turn the ball over against the Celtics. When it's a live ball turnover, they're going to make you pay, and the Warriors made the Celtics pay over and over and over again last night. What did you think of the physicality last night? Did Draymond Green rattle the Celtics? Was he in their head as somebody has been so much of the narrative today? I don't know if they would admit that he was in their head, but he pushed the envelope to its limit, to its legal limit, and perhaps went over uh, and was fortunate you know, to play the rest of the game. Uh, in my estimation, and we said in real time that um, you know, he and Jalen Brown, when they got tangled up, uh, any other situation, that's probably a double technical, and he's out of the game at having gotten his first technical early. So you know, he, he came out, he told us, he told the world, you know, that they needed to get more aggressive defensively, and that's exactly what he did right from the start. He got a tied possession in the opening possession of the game. He pushed the envelope. Um, he and Grant Williams bumped around. He got the tech there in the first quarter. He and Jalen Brown, again, he was fortunate not to get a, get a technical foul there. So I don't know if he was in their head as much as he just turned it up as far as he could. He tested the officials. He basically baited them into throwing him out, and they didn't. And uh, and, the Celt- and the Celtics did not match that physicality at all, and uh, hence that you know lost by double digits. We're talking with Mark Kessler, the broadcaster for the NBA Finals here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. We had Kesty's call of Game One and Two of this series. Our next broadcast of this NBA Finals will be Game Five. We'll have that on WDEV. Did you think the Celtics were talking too much? about the refs after the game. Did they team seem too fixated on it? I heard Emei talk about it. Jalen Brown talked about it. I mean, they're sending a message to the officials, and there's being overly fixated. What did you think the Celtics were doing last night? You know, Brady, I think you hit it on the head. It's time-honored tradition, right, over the decades, is if you, if you don't get the whistle, and they didn't get the whistle in Game 2, is you talk about it about as much as you can without getting a... Uh, fined heavily by the league and it's just human nature it's it's just like when boston takes game one and you know the warriors are going to come out with a different force and you say to yourself well why can't the other team match the force it's just something about human nature and i think it's the same thing with the officials even though you swap out three officials for every game you know they're humans uh they're watching the games i'm sure they're hearing the clips and it's not that they've made a decision that they're going to you know, um, look one way or the other to make a call, uh, despite what maybe is said on social media. It's just the, the building changes, too, and that's such a huge factor, especially in the old NBA, way back in the days. You know, the, the smaller gyms, uh, the heated moments, uh, you know, the home team always seemed to get the call. I don't think that's nearly what it was, you know, decades and decades ago, but I think there is a human nature aspect to when you complain about certain calls, and that's what the ref's job is. They're going over the film. They're watching how these guys are defending other guys. They're watching how they get under their skin. And that's what they're going to look at for the next game. They may be a little more fixated on that. So I do think it's time-honored and, and also effective for the team that loses and doesn't get the whistle to speak about it and maybe get in the head of the ref a little bit. You know, I heard one national radio host today say this, and it wasn't an ESPN radio host, so another network, said that Jason Tatum is a star who plays with a role player's confidence level. I thought that comment was unfair. What do you make of Tatum's kind of mindset and his attitude? 
that's interesting. I, I've been on a pl- two planes all day, so I didn't <laughs> hear that one or even read that one. But, um, yeah, I think that's a little unfair, but I think you could chalk it up to this or say it in a different way. I mean, there's no doubt he's a superstar. He was on my, you know, first team All-NBA ballot, which he ended up getting. Uh, but he's still young. I mean, I know he's been in a ton of playoff games. They've been to the conference finals many times, and this is their first foray in the finals. Um, but, you know, they're not video games. I mean, there's still an art form to, you know, doing it on an everyday basis, especially being the leader of the team. And there's no doubt that on this stage, you know, only the second time he's played on the stage, and look, he had a horrific game one shooting-wise, but he overcame it with how he distributed the ball, and he got off to a terrific shooting start yesterday, but you could make the successful argument that he didn't get his team involved as much. So I, I, I could see the argument. I could see where it was said. Maybe could have been said a little bit differently. Uh, so I don't know if I agree with it in totality, except to say that some of his youth showed up yesterday, last night. You know, I don't expect the trio of Derek White, Marcus Smart, Al Horford to go for 65 points again like they did in game one. I don't expect that. But they need to go for more than a combined 17, which they did last night. How do they ensure the Celtics, how do they ensure productivity out of their role players? Well, I think, and I'm sure Emay said it last night, and we'll say it again at the next availability tomorrow, they just didn't run their offense like they had been running their offense. You know, they got to get that ball moving. I mean, Golden State plays really good defense as well. You know, they can be beaten. We have seen that, you know, uh, on the defensive end. But it's all predicated, especially defenses these days that are so long, so athletic. You've got to stretch it to its maximum. And they didn't do it yesterday. Now, they made an adjustment. You know, they put Draymond Green on uh, Jalen Brown. And so, you know, maybe the adjustment to the adjustment is necessary going forward. But I, I think there were too many times where they just didn't get the, the volume of open shots. And you can't expect to get the kind of open shots they got in game one. But it was the numbers were knocked down so severely and then, of course, on top of that, you're not hitting the open shots like you hit them uh, specifically in the fourth quarter in game one. And so all of a sudden, your your offense looks anemic. So, you know, the magic potion isn't to do what they did in the fourth quarter. That's the hope. But I think if they can, you know, move that ball around, um, obviously the turnovers were absolute killers. I'm not sure, you know, why that happened, why they were so careless with the ball. I think Marcus Smart had at least four turnovers in the game. And a lot of them were just unnecessary, anticipatory, you know, where guys were going to be. So you clean that up, you're back home. And, and, uh, you know, I think just about everyone expects, you know, we're in for a really long series now after watching, you know, the first two games. Cassie, I'll get you out of here on this. What's up with Robert Williams? Is his lack of playing time, I think just 14 minutes yesterday, is it health-related with the knee or is it really just a series that is more meant for perimeter players and he just doesn't have as big a role here? You know, I'm trying to figure that out myself because, I mean, he clearly doesn't look 100%, yet, you know, he'll still come up with multiple block shots, you know, at least two every game. I think he had three or four yesterday. Um, but I think it is a little bit of a, a chess match here. Both teams can do very well with a small lineup. We saw it with the Al Horford at the five lineup. 
you know, we see it as well with the Warriors when they take Kevon Looney out of the lineup. And so I think, you know, Ime needs to keep that chess battle going. Um, I was surprised at the end of the night when I'm like, oh, Robert only played 14 minutes in the game. I mean, I knew he wasn't out there for a lot, but it was a little bit lower than I anticipated. I know he'd love in a perfect world, especially with a less than 100% need to have him around the 20-minute mark. Um, but it's possible. Maybe he just didn't have it. Maybe he didn't have the right lift, even though the line that he puts up, you know, especially in the blocks and rebounds department, you know, is, uh, is still valuable. It's not anywhere near what he was pre-injury. So I think there's probably uh, some kind of combination of the two, but I would lean more toward he's just not helping them at less than 100%. I mean, to me, that that seems like the obvious answer, but, you know, we'll dig a little bit more tomorrow and, and see if Dime, who traditionally doesn't give up a lot of information, uh, maybe he'll give us a little bit more insight into that. Mark Kessischer, NBA Finals broadcaster for ESPN Radio. We had games one and two of the finals right here on WDEV. Our next broadcast will be game five, sandwiched around our Red Sox baseball coverage. So we will have game five, and who knows, maybe the Celtics will take the next three, and that'll be the clincher right here on WDEV. So, Kesty, we appreciate your time, safe travels, and uh, we look forward to listening again. Brady, I know the Red Sox are huge. I'm still after a perfect broadcast. I haven't had it yet. I might have it in three or four. You'll miss it. So I, I apologize for that. But if it happens, I'll let you know. Well, please do. Kesty, appreciate you. We'll talk again soon. You got it. Mark Kessischer, NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. One of the best. Proud to bring you NBA NBA Finals coverage right here on WDEV. Again, our next broadcast is Game 5. When we come back, last thoughts on the NBA Finals. Max Kellerman of ESPN Radio says Steph Curry could go back to being the best player in the NBA. Am I buying that argument? That's next on DEV.